worshiping that good father that we sing about. And we continue in the celebration of, of Easter. Of course, we always do. Every Sunday we gather, it's a celebration of Easter. But, you know, we tend to think of Easter specifically as a day. You know, we celebrated that last week, the Resurrection Sunday. Easter is actually a season. We are in the season of Easter. In these weeks that come, we continue to celebrate, specifically remembering the Easter and the events that transpired in the um, aftermath of the resurrection of Jesus. It's a 50-day season in the life of the church till the celebration of Pentecost, the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, and we'll get to that you know, down the road a little bit. But in these weeks that follow, we, we very often focus on some of the, the experiences of the followers and believers, uh, believers of Jesus in the aftermath of, of his resurrection and, and those appearances that, that Jesus made and some of the things that he taught following, um, following the resurrection and prior to his ascension. So, you know, we, we continue the Easter celebration. We continue with the joy that, that permeated worship last week and, and will carry us through and always carries us through. And, and uh, we got a little bit of celebratory feeling here. We still have, um, I didn't show this last week though. This was pretty cool. Let me go get this, this little cross that came in midway through um, worship last week. It's down here, this thing. Our kindergarten, kindergartners, first graders and second graders did this last week. Isn't that cute? So we have that up. And this is vacation Bible school stuff. That's coming. There was a workshop here yesterday. I know some of you were a part of that um, and kind of gearing up for vacation Bible school. And we got a lot of fun stuff that will be um, taking place um, in the, in the summer, yeah, it used to be a time that it felt like things really slowed down in the summer. Not anymore. <laughs> it, it gets, you know, some of you all make your trips back, back up north, and we know a few of you are still going to be heading back, and we pray your safety, and, and we certainly miss you when you're gone, but it doesn't feel like it slows down a whole lot. Maybe we get a little bit more breathing room, but not a whole lot. Um, the, the roads get a little more clear for a few weeks, a few months, but, um, but anyway, yeah, woo not that we want you to go, but woohoo! Um, so, please, I'm kidding. We don't want any of our folks to go. The other people to go. That's what I said. You all stay. The rest of them can go for a few for a few months. And um, please, no, I'm kidding. Please don't get mad at me. Um, all right. So this morning, we'll look at one of the the probably. I think it's fair to say this might be the most most well-known resurrection appearance of Jesus, not, not because it's the, um, the events are so extraordinary compared to the others, but because the story that we're going to look at today um, permeates culture a little bit wider. People inside the church and outside the church know at least at some level the story or at least have some connection to it. Um, let me kind of explain what I mean before we get there in, uh, in John chapter 20 this morning. Let, let me throw out some disciples and some names and you can just kind of blurt back, you can, you know, just kind of yell out some of the things that you think of when I, when I share the name, some of the characteristics or description or anything that comes to mind. For instance, when I say Peter, what do you think? Rock, that's right, Peter's the rock, Petra, he's the rock on which I will build my church. What else do you think? Fishing, okay, absolutely, he was a fisherman. Denial, exactly, denied, denied Jesus. In the water? Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's right. He, remember, Peter walked on water till he looked at the waves, and then he went down. Um, little impetuous, 
little quick-tempered sometimes, quick reactionary. Some of those things are things we think about when we think about Peter. Those are all good. Okay, um, how, about, how about John? Anything you think about with John? Beloved. beloved. Yeah, beloved. John's beloved. Now, I always love that because John is the writer of his own gospel, and he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. Um, so I always, I always kind of get a kick out of that, you know. As a, Jesus liked him all, but he loved me. Um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, he's, he's the beloved. He's the, 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 what else? What else do you think of with John? Ephesus. Um, what's that? I'm sorry. Kind. Yeah, he's got kind of that personality. Um, one of the things I think about, I love the nickname that Jesus gives um, James and John. The name he gives them. You know what it is? Sons of Thunder. That's right. That's, that's cool. That's just Sons of Thunder. So that's James. Um, let's get a harder one. How about Andrew? Andrew's, there's not a whole lot in there about Andrew. Anything you think of with Andrew? Andrew's the, um, he's the usher. He's the usher. He's the one that, he's, he's most common for bringing people to Jesus. He's the one that brings the, the little boy with the, the loaves and fish. He's also famous for bringing one of the other disciples to Jesus, who we just talked about, Peter. He's the one that brings Peter to meet Jesus. So, so let's say, okay, let's do a couple easy ones. Judas. Betrayer. That's what we think. We talked about him last week during Holy Week. We think about Judas as the betrayer. And then the last one, Thomas. Doubting, right? And that's what we all think of. That's Thomas. That's what we're talking about today. Thomas, the doubter. That's, that's the tag that he's stuck with for all eternity. Doubting Thomas. And most people have a connection to that name. They may not have a connection to the story. But if you said in the Bible, who's the doubter? Most people are going to be able to pull Thomas because it's kind of permeated. It's permeated culture. Not totally fair. Not totally fair to Thomas. Uh, interestingly enough, we don't know a lot about him. Only 155 words in the Bible, in the Gospels, about Thomas. Matthew, Mark, and, Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't say, tell us anything about him. Those three Gospels are called the, the synoptics. They don't, they don't say anything. John tells us a little bit about him. And most of what we know is in the story we're going to read. But to be fair to him, just to kind of give a little background, if, you, if you, you may remember, you may not, but in John chapter 11, Jesus makes a declaration to his disciples, let's go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And Thomas is the one who explains or, or, or exclaims. He said, let us go with him or let us go that we may die with him. That's Thomas's words. Now, wh- the, you know, whether he said it in exasperation or whether he said it as a, as a bold declaration of faith, there's a, there's a commitment there that, that Thomas affirms. And there's a, a, a statement of faith he makes at the end of this chapter or at the end of this reading. That is also quite a statement a declaration of who Jesus is. But the reality is most of what we think about when we think about Thomas is encapsulated in these five verses, 24 through 29, right here. So I want you to invite you either to follow the screens or if you have your Bibles, to follow along or just listen as we read this resurrection appearance of Jesus to Thomas. Now, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. 
Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Brothers and sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us through your word, through these words. I pray that they are from you, that they and we will be inspired by your Holy Spirit, and that we will be shaped into the, the image and likeness of Christ. Our lives are yours, Lord. Do with us as you will. We pray in Christ. Amen. So this is one of the, the week's sermon that um, if, if you had an opportunity to read what I had on paper on Monday and to compare that to with what you're about to hear, um, you'd realize that they're not anywhere near the same thing. That, that where I started with this and, and where I thought I was going to go and where I thought the Lord was going to lead, it, it, just, it just drastically changed from the week. Not that what I had before was bad, but, but at least I don't think so. Um, but as I, as I just, you know, sometimes the most profound thing we can do with Scripture is just let it resonate. Just, you know, one of the things about preaching that, that is just a natural part of, of, of preparing for, for worship is that you're, you're wrestling with the same Scripture for an extended period of time. You know, a lot of times we read Scripture, we read the story, and we, we move to the next thing. But when you're teaching or preaching or doing things as, as others of you have done, you know, you're sitting with it for a while. And as I sat with it, different things began to kind of speak to me about the story and some of the, the impact of the story. And, and I started to think about it in the nature of the way that we connect to people and how radically different that is. And this is nothing new or startling. This isn't any terribly insightful because we all know that, that the nature of relationships now in, in our culture is radically different than it's ever been in human history. Not, not that that's better or worse, it's just different. We are no longer restricted by distance in our relationships in the same way we once were. We, we live in a, um, a, a social media world. We connect through mediums and we share our lives together through um, Facebook and, and things, Facebook and Twitter are the two that kind of were the foundation. Actually, if you really go back, some of you go back to MySpace, you know, and, and some of those. And, and the way that, that distance doesn't impede relationships in the same way or at least don't pose some of the same challenges that they once did. And that's constantly changing. Um, you know, I, one thing of, of having, now, now Ryan and Cassidy, my, my kids, are very, very different. Ryan, um, to be fair, and he'll tell you, he's not a big social media guy. He doesn't do a whole lot of this. Uh, he doesn't watch a lot of TV. That's just not, not him. So he's kind of on one end of the spectrum, and then I've got the other end of the spectrum, and that's Cassidy. Cassidy's my daughter, and, and she is very um, social media savvy. She's, very, she's, she's my little social butterfly. And um, so, so what I've learned is that it's constantly changing. 
I had a young lady in the church years ago, this was about two years ago, three years ago, say to me, she said, you're the reason I'm not on Facebook. Now, it sounds like she was being mean. That sounds like it was, she was being very, she wasn't, she wasn't being mean, but she was basically saying that because my generation, which is some of you, and older, because we've gotten on, we've chased the younger people off. Because remember what it's like to be teenagers, you know, and, and so Facebook is, there's now Instagram, and there's um, Snapchat, and there's these other apps that I'm not even sure what they do. But, but the point is, it's all the same purpose. It's the way that, that, that we connect. And, and a lot of, there's a lot of good with that. Um, I love the fact that uh, I can watch my nephews grow up in a way that wouldn't be possible years ago because they live in, now they live in Pittsburgh. And so my, my, my brother and his wife and my nephews, have, but through Skype and FaceTime and these things, we can have a, a more connected relationship. Didn't have. I love the fact that a couple, you know, a couple years ago when I was in China and, and Korea, I could check in with my family visually. I could see them. They could see, not so much in China, a little harder through China. But, but to, to have some of those connections, there's some good things with that. But with that good comes some of the drawbacks. And, and a couple of those, those drawbacks is that, that we, we mass produce our social life. You know, I'm not, I'm not connecting with you specifically I'm connecting with yous. You know, I'm sharing this for all of you if you're connected on a social media. So it's, it's mass. It's not always mediated. We don't have great filters. Or, you know what? We're in the South. I'm connecting with y'all. Okay? <laughs> and, um, and so that. But the other thing is, it's, um, it's a mirage. We create mirages. And, and not all of us, but a lot of us do. We only put out there what we want people to see. And, and, and again, generally what we do is we put the best stuff out there. We put the vacations. We put the, the fun stuff we do, the highlights of our lives. So we, we create a very false reality. Not that those things aren't real, but it's only, it's only half, half the coin, if you will. You know, I don't go online and post. I don't face, if you guys are friends with me on Facebook, I don't post a lot anyway. But, but I'll tell you what I don't post. Had a really awful day today. In the doghouse, because I did something really dumb, and Tony's very mad at me right now. Um, you know, those kind of, I have those moments. <laughs> but I don't put that out there, because honestly, my opinion, that's not anybody's business. That's my business. That's my mess to clean up, and, and I don't need, I might need your help. I don't need the sympathy at that point. But, but my point is that a lot of, now some people, some people are a little more transparent than others, and, and I know that. But, but again, we don't get... We don't get the, the, the individual connection sometimes. I think we miss that. You know, we can be friends with people halfway around the world and not know the person that lives next door to us kind of a thing. And, and what I love about the scriptures is that they're the, the account of very personal relationships. And they're very, very honest pictures of, of our heroes of faith. The, the men and women who we have stories of David and, and taking down Goliath and, and his faith and his trust in God. And we have these wonderful stories of King David and these wonderful things he did. But you know what we also have? We have David walking out on the top of his palace when he should have been out with his soldiers. And we have David spying on Bathsheba while she's taking a shower as he should not have been doing. And we have a whole mess that got, gets created out of that story. 
We have David very human and very fallen and very sometimes very broken. And that's a, a powerful story, and you should read it. You should know it. And if you don't, go read it. It's, it's interesting and, and powerful. But we have that. We have Peter, the rock. And, and the Peter of Acts 2 who proclaims the resurrection of Jesus. But we also have Peter in his moments of denial and his moments of brokenness and his moments of, of uh, anger. You know, we get these, these wonderful balanced pictures of people because they're in authentic relationships and people can remember these truths of who they are. And that's very encouraging for us, for me, because that's who we are. And, and we get that with Thomas. That's what this story is. It's a very honest picture of Thomas. And the fact that in the aftermath of the resurrection, on that day of, of, of Resurrection Sunday, Jesus appears to the disciples. And he gives an invitation. In Luke 24, he says, put your hands on my wounds, the, the holes in my hands and, and my feet. He, he invites the disciples to touch him at his place of great, greatest pain and greatest suffering as a sign that, that he's real. This isn't a, a ghost. This isn't a, a vision they're having. He's there, flesh and blood with them. And, and his pain becomes their deliverance, becomes their promise, becomes their hope. And so we have this wonderful resurrection story. The only problem with it is somebody's missing. And that's Thomas. He's not there. We don't know why. Scriptures don't tell us where he was on that night, but he's not there. But they're together. And, and let me back up. It is the, the personal relationship they have with Jesus, that deep connection they have with him, that's the reason they're hiding to begin with. Because never forget, Jesus is executed as an enemy of the state, an enemy of Rome. He's executed as a, as a rebel, if you will, as inciting an uprising or fear of inciting an uprising. So what are the disciples afraid of? Well, they're afraid you go after the leader, you're going to go after the followers. So we're next in line because they're deeply connected with Jesus. So, so they're, they're hiding out and they're afraid. And Jesus shows up into the scene and he makes that appearance and... and they're overcome with the joy of, of resurrection and of hope. And they still kind of stay locked up, though. And it is into that, in the aftermath of that, that Thomas shows up and he hears the story. But he doesn't share the experience. And he says those famous words, if I don't see it, if I don't get to touch, if I don't have a personal touch with Jesus, I won't believe it. I will not believe it. And that becomes that stigma that sticks to Thomas, doubting Thomas. He would not believe. The truth is, we probably would have been Thomas ourselves. But in, in that experience, and then in what will come in these verses that we, we read this morning, I think we get some powerful insights that, that just began to kind of bubble up, if you will, through the week. And, um, and, I, and I want to kind of share them with you, some, some, some things that, that I began to, to think about as we, we just kind of sit on this Thomas story for a few minutes. And that is Thomas reminds us that somebody else's experiences, somebody else's experience may not be yours. Somebody else's experience of Jesus, their encounter with Jesus, their hearing Jesus, seeing Jesus, touching Jesus, may not be yours. Jesus encounters us sometimes in very unique and very personal ways and often very, very different than the way that he encounters and connects with somebody else through the Holy Spirit. Now, wh why does that matter? Because for a lot of us, we get envious of others. 
We hear the stories of somebody saying, I heard God speak, or I experienced God's love in this way, or I knew his power in this. And we begin to hear how God has shown up in the life of someone else, and we begin to think, God, why don't you show up that way to me? Because I have these conversations all the time. People going, I just want to be able to hear God, see God, experience God, feel God the way he did, the way she does. And the reality is you're not him and you're not her. And God shows up very uniquely and sometimes in very, very different ways for each of us. God shows up, but not always in the same way. Thomas had to wait a week before he experienced the resurrected Christ. That's fascinating to me. I don't know why. I don't have an answer for why. I don't have any great theological insights into why it took seven days. Seven days doesn't feel like that long a time, but I'll bet for him it felt like an eternity. Because on that day, Jesus showed up to the disciples in the upper room. He showed up to two disciples on a road to Emmaus. He had showed up to the women at the tomb. He clearly could have showed up wherever Thomas was, but he didn't. Came a little later in a unique encounter. That's the way Jesus shows up in our lives sometimes. We don't, always, we don't control the timing. We don't always control the, 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 the way, but we open ourselves to God's timing into God's way, into God's when. And I, and I think Thomas reminds us of that. And so our challenge sometimes is to allow God to speak into your life and the uniqueness of who you are, not in comparison to the way that he does it for others. I do that. Some of you have experiences of God I wish I had. Some of you have, um, you know, hear God in ways I wish I did. But again, my own advice, I'm not you. You're not me. So we, we realize that. Second thing that I think is very, very significant is that Thomas was there that night with the others. And, and let me explain what I mean by, by he was there. When, when he came back the night of the, the resurrection Sunday, he hears the ten say to him, we have seen Jesus. He's appeared to us. He's alive. And Thomas says, if, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. Now, now, understand what he's saying. He's looking at these ten brothers in the faith. He's looking at these friends. He's looking at these people he spent these years with, and he's basically saying, I think you're crazy. I'm not sure I believe you. Because that's exactly what he says. If I don't see it, I don't believe it. Well, 10 of them are saying, we saw it. So if 10 of us come up to you and say, hey, something just happened, and you say, well, unless I go see it, I don't believe it. What you're saying is, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't, think, I don't think it's true. And yet, they never closed the door to Thomas. They never cast him out. Even though he didn't believe what they believed, even though he hadn't bought into this resurrection, he, he wasn't sure what to make of it. When they gathered, he gathered. When they were there, he was there. They made room for the skeptic and the doubter in their community of faith. They made room for the skeptic and the doubter. And this became my question to me. Do I make room, do we make room for the skeptic and the doubter? Because the reality is, I'm confident of this, some of you are skeptic and doubters. You're skeptical and you're doubting. And I don't say that judgmentally. I don't say that critically. You're here because your spouse comes. You're here because you have some friends that come. You're here because we... Sometimes have great food like we did last week. Thank you, Jimmy and Lori. Um, you, you have a number of reasons for being here. 
but you're not sure that you really believe all of this. You're not sure this whole Jesus, resurrected, son of God, faith, way, the truth, and the life, none of that you've completely bought into. The difference is between, between the stories is we know about Thomas's doubt. A lot of times we'll keep our doubt to ourselves. So we don't, we're nice people. We don't want to be offensive. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But the reality is, if that's your truth, if that's your reality, glad you're here. Glad you're here. I hope we always make room for the skeptic and doubter. There should be no litmus test at our door that says, well, you're welcome in if. Let's start to check through the, the, the statements of faith to make sure you, you, you meet the test. Rather, Thomas is there. He's there. He's available for God to show up in God's time, but he doesn't know what he believes at this point. And they welcomed him in anyway. That should be true for us. There should always be room. There should be an empty chair, if you will, for that next person that comes in regardless. Because this becomes an opportunity for the seeds to be sown and for the encounter to take place. And that's the last point, is that when he encountered Jesus, as with all who encountered Jesus, the trajectory of their lives radically changed. When we have that experience of the resurrected Lord, when he shows up, when he speaks into our lives, when he touches our heart, when he speaks to our spirit, our lives are never the same again. And Thomas's wouldn't be. In fact, the church tradition of Thomas is that he took the gospel all the way to India. That's, that's kind of the, the, the story that surrounds the, the life of Thomas. But like the others, he became a proclaimer of the resurrection. He became forever marked. He became forever different because he knew powerfully the touch of Jesus. You know, when, when he says, if I can touch his hands or touch his side or, or touch his feet, he's not really needing for him to touch Jesus. It's a way of saying, I need for Jesus to touch me. I need to know he's here. He's real. He's present. And that's the same reality Jesus wants us to know. In the way that he shows up in our lives and, and to our lives and through our lives, that he's real. It's the power of his touch that changes us. It becomes, um, we become a touchstone. You know, a touchstone is a, a dark stone like a jasper that when it encounters a precious metal like gold, it leaves an indelible mark, a forever mark, if you will. That's what Jesus does in our lives when we make room and we let him in. The reality is we're all here in different places in our journeys. Glad you're here. We celebrate being together. We open our hearts. Let this be kind of an upper room for us. Every time that we gather, let it be an upper room where we invite Jesus' presence to speak. It might not always show up the way we want or when we want, but Jesus shows up and he speaks into our lives. And I hope you felt the power of him speaking into yours so that you can be forever changed. And, and not only experience his touch, but to share that, to share that love and to go forth forever different. That becomes the testimony of Thomas. May it be the testimony of each of us. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the power of story, for the power of Thomas's story, and for the truth that it speaks to our lives, and for the truth that you do show up. We pray that our hearts would be open to that, that we'd be in a journey of, of being made ready and being made open to the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.
One of the ways that we believe and we profess that Jesus shows up in our lives is through the celebration of this meal and the commemorative experience that we have of remembering Christ's meal with his disciples and his invitation to us to come to his table of grace. And so we remember that on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks to God and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It is broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks to God and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and drink all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant. It is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And so we remember the gift of God in Jesus Christ and his invitation to us to come to his table. Friends, let us pray. Gracious Lord, bless these gifts of bread and juice that for us we would be the, the body of Christ because we have experienced the grace of Christ. We've experienced the, the salvation through his shed blood, through the gift that he gave at Calvary, through the life that we are invited into through his resurrection. And so, Lord, help us to, to be faithful in our lives and in serving you, to open our hearts to your, to your presence, to experience the power of your speaking into our lives and inviting us into a relationship that is now and forever. Lord, we give you all glory. We give you all praise. And that is now and forever. In Christ's holy name, amen. This time now I invite our communion servers to take their place to each of the stations. And, and if you are new with us, know that in these moments as we continue to worship, we celebrate communion. And you are all invited to come. As you feel led to come to any of the four stations, two in the back, two in the front, to receive the bread, to dip it into the juice, thereby receive the body and blood of Christ. The altar is open for prayer. The baskets are available for prayer cards or for offerings. Or you may stay where you are and just simply pray and reflect. But as we celebrate together, the table's made ready. As we worship together, you're invited to come and to receive.
miles have walked one by one the enemy has whispered lies and led them off as slaves but we know that you are god yours is the victory yet see so with the faith you've given us we'll step into the valley unafraid yeah. as we call out to dry bones come alive come alive we call out to dead hearts come alive come alive oh, Let us go with that, the power of that truth. Thomas, his 
his faith had died. His heart had grown cold, and yet in the power of the resurrected Christ, he came alive again. And that power is at work in each of our lives. Christ invites us into a transformational relationship that empowers us in ways beyond expectation. Brothers and sisters, go in new and alive faith in the power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.